I just drove around and I saw this job site where there were some Mexican guys outside and I just pulled up and I just sat in the car for about 10 minutes and I told myself, just get out of the car, Camille, just walk across the street and ask for a job. Just lower your expectations, let your ego move to the side because what you've been doing is not working. You've had a complete mental breakdown. (laughs) What you've been doing is not working. So try something new. So I did. Welcome to Remodel Your Life. Shining the light on women working in the trades and remodeling their life into something better. Join a female cabinet maker in California in bringing together kitchen remodeling and working with your hands for a living. Welcome your host, Camille Finan. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today on our fifth episode where I'm going to be sharing what this whole podcast is about. And if you're new to this podcast, basically, it's called Remodel Your Life. And my name is Camille Finan, and I am a licensed finished carpenter contractor in California, and I build kitchens for a living. But I've done a lot of things before that. So I have lots of interests like most of you do. And uh, this show is my dream that I've had for many, many years to be able to make a bigger impact and sort of support women in the trades and create sort of some sort of inspiration and hope for women out there, girls out there that might want to make a living with their hands and a bunch of other stuff that I'm just personally interested in. So thank you so much for joining me today. And I wanted to give you a little bit of a background into sort of how this podcast got developed where the inspiration came from. You know, a lot of people ask me personally, how did I get into the trades? How did I become a cabinet maker? How do I make a living at this? How is it possible to do this? And so I kind of wanted to incorporate all of that into this episode today. So to start off, I'm just going to talk about the goals of the podcast and sort of my personal background and why I'm so passionate about it and, you know, what I'm hoping to accomplish with the podcast. So There's sort of three main areas, and I would say the first is that I want to shine a light on and bring some sort of inspiration and hope to women that are out there grinding away every single day like me in their wood shops, in their garages, making businesses, or they want to, and they're woodworkers, or they're some sort of craftswoman, and they don't have a lot of support, and they don't have a lot of you know, there's, there's not a lot of camaraderie, right? We're all individuals <laughs> surrounded by men generally. So I wanted to really shine a light on some of these amazing women doing just incredible things, but usually quietly by themselves. Um, and I wanted to share that with the rest of the world and have this show really highlight some of these amazing craftswomen that are, that it's happening right now all around you. And also to show you what's available, what's possible to make a living with, you know, working with your hands. So that's one thing. It's one part of it. The second part of it is because I'm in kitchen remodeling and lots and lots of women are super interested in kitchen remodeling and just my story, how I got into it, my struggles, my challenges, my successes, 
I'll be sharing a lot of stuff about kitchen remodeling because women are super interested in kitchen remodeling. And I'm hoping to help some women out so they don't get ripped off, help them really understand how a kitchen remodel gets done, interview a bunch of vendors about the things that I sort of see that are happening in the industry. So there's a whole bunch of things about kitchen remodeling and my life and the behind the scenes that goes on with me because I do kitchen remodeling. And kitchen remodeling, just so you know, encompasses a lot of things that go on in a house, the floors, the cabinets, countertops, tile work, sheetrock, texture, painting, electrical, design, structural stuff. You know, there's lots of things that happen in a house in remodeling that cover a lot of the trades. And so kitchen remodeling is sort of going to be the the little vehicle that we're going to use to show you a lot of the different trades and give you some better information and really try to empower women to be knowledgeable so they don't get taken advantage of. And a lot of it's just really fun to talk about, right? Because it's kitchens. So that's the second thing. And then the third sort of area is just a personal pet project of my own, which is women and transformation and how to remodel your own life into something better, bigger, whatever that is, more satisfying. And my small hope is that some of these women that are listening are going to consider or reconsider a life where you're building something with your hands. I have a very strong conviction that most women really don't actually get to know what that feels like and the experience, the tangible pride that comes from building and crafting with your hands. And a lot of women are sort of in their heads all the time and running around busy all the time. And I just think it's a great avenue for women. And I just personally think women are fantastic at the trades. So I want to share some of that with you guys. My own personal goals, just so everybody sort of knows, this is, you know, way out of my comfort zone. I'm a carpenter, uh, <laughs> I'm not a podcaster, but I believe strongly that women need to push themselves and get out of their comfort zones and try new things. So this is new for me. I'm going to be learning right along with you guys trying to share a message, trying to help people. And along those lines, my personal goals for this show are threefold. And I'm saying it publicly so that you hear me, so that I am committed to this, right? The first one is to be unapologetic. I'm turning 49 this year, so I'm almost 50. And uh, I'm pretty much a quiet Norwegian. I don't like conflict. I don't like problems. You know, I keep to myself. I keep my head down. I do my work. You know, I'm passionate about what I care about, but generally I don't poke my head up very often. So for me, being unapologetic and really speaking about things that I'm really passionate about, that I believe in, that I maybe talk privately about, but never share publicly in a, in a national forum, uh, this is a real game changer for me personally. This feels very uncomfortable, but I am trying to grow myself and to make a bigger impact. So Along those lines, I'm going to be unapologetic. I'm going to say what I actually really feel on the air. I'm going to interview the people I actually really care about interviewing. I'm going to talk about the subjects that I really think are important. And I'm going to share that with you. So unapologetic. The second thing is vulnerability. And this is really hard for me. I am a cancer by nature. We are extremely closed up. We don't generally share our feelings with people and we're very deeply feeling, but we keep it close to the chest. So 
it's unusual for me to share my actual deepest fears and emotions and things that I'm worried about and challenges and struggles. And that's going to be hard for me, but I'm doing it because I believe in this project. I believe that most of the woodworkers, the women that are out there are very isolated and don't have resources and support. And it's hard to reach out and ask for help and get to the next level. And I think being vulnerable, me being vulnerable and sharing the things that I've struggled with, and I've been self-employed for my whole entire life, more than 30 years. So I've been through everything. And I think me being vulnerable about those failures or struggles or improvements, I'm really hoping that this can help some other young woman, middle-aged woman, older woman, feel like she's not alone and feel like she's cared for and she can reach out to us and get support. So that's the second thing, me being vulnerable and sharing the the real behind the scenes stuff that goes on with a business working in the trades. And then the third aspect personally for me is to make an impact. I'm going to share a little bit more on my story about what I do here personally and you know locally, but my goal is really to make an impact in this industry. And I feel like I've done a lot on a smaller scale, but I I really want to see large, massive changes in this construction industry. I want there to be lots of women that want to do it, can get into it, can get training and be really successful at it. I just strongly believe that women can be fantastic in this field. And I think when you listen to all these interviews of all these just incredible, amazing, talented women, I'm hoping that over the next year or so, you're going to just see this huge breadth of talent of all these women and how they've made it. And they've they've made it in this industry in so many different ways. So I want to be a part of that, to share these women with you and really make an impact. And by make an impact, I mean make an impact. So there's been lots of talk about getting girls in the trades and teaching women this and that, but most of it I feel like is kind of lip service. It doesn't really actually do anything. And the reasons for that are, there's lots of reasons, but mostly I would say it's a combination of it's 99% all men at the top that control the money, control the hiring, control the decisions. And so until there's women like me that own the company that only hire women or make policy or create training or create, you know, marketing, really good marketing campaigns, uh, it's not going to change. Young girls are just not going to think it's possible to be a successful carpenter. So that's one. And then the other is just parents, right? Parents don't see the trades as a viable option, as a good option, as a successful option for their children. So there's a couple of things that I'm hoping we can do with this show that we can really shine a light on the diversity in the trades, the opportunity in the trades. You know, I'm really hoping that some parent or sister or brother or someone will hear this and go, wow, that's, you know, I didn't think about it like that. Wow, that's, you can really do well in the trades. So, so that's part of making an impact, but then also just uplifting all the women that didn't think it was, you know, actually possible for them. I want to show that it is possible for you, but we're going to try to educate you. We're going to try to share some information so you're really prepared when you enter the trades. And my personal goal is to try to impact a million women. That's my goal that I'm saying on the air. So either teach or inspire a million women to get into the trades or work on their own homes and learn power tools and 
really get over this hump that you cannot be in the trades or you cannot learn how to fix up your own house or you can't build the stuff. I want to change all that for women. Those are the three things, unapologetic, vulnerable, and make an impact. And those are my sort of requirements of every episode, every show that have to, um, they need to fulfill that on some level for me. It takes a long time to become a carpenter. And I love this line. I, I've kind of sort of stolen it from Hope Jaren, who wrote a national bestseller called Lab Girl about her experience becoming a scientist and just how fucking long it takes to become a real scientist. So when I read her book, and I'm really hoping I'll be able to get her on the show at some point, she's an incredible woman. You know, I immediately resonated with that because I was like, wow, for the first time, someone put it into a simple sentence that really explained and encapsulated how I felt for years. It has taken a long time to get here. And uh, it has been a very twisty road and a meandering all over the place <laughs> kinds of experiences to get to this point where I would say now I'm a carpenter. And that doesn't even mean that I actually know everything about everything. I don't. I'm really good at what I know, which is still a very small part of the entire thing there is to know about woodworking. But I didn't know that in the beginning of the story, right? And I wanted to know everything about everything. And I wanted to be the best. And I wanted to know, I wanted to know when the end game was, when I could just tell myself that that was it. I didn't have to learn anything else. I could call myself a carpenter. So it is, you know, with many, many years later that I would call myself now a carpenter and not feel embarrassed about that or whatever. I have a successful cabinet shop. I've made a great living for a long time. I support a lot of other people, but it has been a journey. It has been a real journey. And so a lot of my clients, students, people that meet me, they say, wow, you're only five foot three. Uh, you know, and for most of my life, I was like 100 pounds, 110 pounds. Uh, now I'm 20 pounds heavier, but still, I'm still small, right? <laughs> By contractor standards. And uh, they would say, wow, how I don't understand it. How are you a cabinet maker? How is this possible? How are you running a shop? How do you only employ women? What's going on? <laughs> right? So I thought I would take a moment to explain my very long meandering journey uh, to become a carpenter and own a kitchen remodeling business in the hopes that it will explain a lot about this show and my interest in mental health issues, my interest in transformation for women, my interest in empowerment and teaching real tangible skills to women and girls. Uh, I, I think you'll see where it all comes from after I explain, uh, you know, my very long journey. So I'm going to have to back up quite a few years to when I was 13 years old. Uh, my dad was a licensed contractor, cabinet maker. He was a general carpenter contractor, which meant he built the entire house. Uh, this is back in the seventies. He built everything, the roads, the concrete, the framing, all the stuff on the inside, like everything, right? He also had his own cabinet shop. So he did both the rough carpentry, we would call it, and the finished carpentry, all the finished pretty stuff that goes on the inside. You know, it was a pretty unusual way to grow up as a young girl. We were with him all the time. 
And he treated us like boys. He treated us like he didn't think it was unusual for girls to be interested. My sister was not interested in it. I loved it. I loved every part of it. Uh, I loved the freedom. I loved uh, not knowing what we were doing every day. I loved the challenge. I loved the pushing yourself. I love that you got paid in cash from your clients. I loved every part of it, the creativity, right? So me and my dad really bonded and it was like a big eye-opening experience for me. He never held me back. He let me try whatever I wanted with tools or whatever. So that's how I grew up was sort of in that environment. There's no limits to what you can do. And so that was fabulous. It was, it was amazing, right? Unfortunately, my dad uh, left our family, divorced my mom a couple of months before the start of my freshman year in high school. And he basically left, not basically, he left. And we didn't see him for many years. And so all through high school, I was definitely floundering. I didn't do well in school. I was completely distracted and missing him. And so I was definitely not prepared for college, right? I, I was did really poorly at math. I just, chemistry, I could, I could not focus. So the reason why that's important is because when I got out of high school, the only things I really remembered or were interested in was making money and entrepreneurship, right? Building a business, being on my own, taking care of myself, getting my own apartment. Those were the focus of my life at that point. And I was really not uh, thinking about college. My family couldn't afford to you know, help me get into college or pay for college. It was a hundred percent on me. So after a little bit of time, I eventually ended up, you know, enrolling in some junior colleges and was horrible at school. Had to start basically completely over, uh, from the ground up and was not a good student. And it, it took a long time for me to become actually a good student and feel really proud of myself in school. And I tell you that because if you were horrible in high school, like it can happen, <laughs> but I was, you know, completely had to be self-sufficient and support myself through that. I didn't have any help, uh, with that. So making money and making a living was really all I was ever thinking about 90% of the time. I wasn't having fun. I wasn't making friends. Uh, I was trying to figure out how to survive. And, uh, I did that for a very, very long time. And it's important because I have now learned that just surviving, right? Just surviving is not a life. It's not a way to live a life. But at that point, I didn't know that. Um, and so I was a, in, in junior college. I was, you know, taking remedial classes and I was trying to start businesses. And so I was doing absolutely everything I could to try to figure out how to make money, how to start a business, how to become an entrepreneur, uh, how to be creative. How do you do that? And I was really, really searching. I eventually ended up becoming a waitress. I feel like it was a really, really great job. I ran it like my own small business. I had all regulars. They left me great tips. And I served a lot of businessmen, right? They were really kind to me. They listened to my ideas. They supported me. And that was really the very beginning of me having mentors. But at that point, I was really too young to understand that. I just so appreciated them valuing me, them thinking I was important. So mentors is a really important part of this story. But basically, they gave me a, my first computer, a client gave me a first computer. They helped me buy school books, they did all these things. And they never asked for anything. Literally, I was just a waitress. And they just believed in me and they wanted to help out. And I'll never forget that that was a really long time ago. But I'll never forget that because they kept me going when I wanted to quit. 
So that was me being a waitress, going to school on the side, part-time, paying for everything myself, having my own apartment, and kind of moving my way up a little bit by a little bit. And on the side, I was always trying to figure out how to start different businesses. And I was always doing crafty, handy DIY things, you know, fixing up my little apartment myself, putting up shelves myself, buying tools myself. Uh, I felt really comfortable with tools because of my upbringing with my dad, but I wasn't, uh, by this point, you know, I was a young adult. I wasn't super technical with them because I'd been a child. So I wasn't afraid of tools, but I didn't really know about tools. You know, that was kind of the beginning of it was fixing up my own first apartment and I just loved it. I loved fixing up my own apartment. I would spend hours and hours and hours building projects for, you know, the few friends I had. And just, I was so focused on that, building things for the garden. And and I just loved it, right? So that was a source of inspiration and comfort for me. Anyways, years go by. I continue to move up. Uh, I continue to do well at school. I get better and better and better. And I start to really feel some pride in going to school. So I'm, my goal is to transfer to a real four-year university, right? Which seems impossible, impossible to pay for, impossible to get into. Only super smart kids go to that stuff. Uh, and I really never thought I would get into an actual four-year university. Uh, and I know that they transfer and they let you in, but I just, I didn't feel I could compete with those kids, right? Anyway, so the day comes when I actually get accepted and I still remember how proud I was of getting into Cal State Hayward and figuring out a way to pay for it and all that. So that that started a whole new journey for me. Feeling actually good at something, feeling good as a student, getting straight A's as a student was like a big deal at that level. And it wasn't Stanford, it's not Harvard, but whatever. I had to work really hard to maintain straight A's at Cal State Hayward. So I felt really proud of myself. And that continued to basically develop. And Halfway through that, they created this entrepreneurship program. And I kind of finally felt like, wow, I've really found my tribe. Like, I'm going to be able to learn about how to actually run a business and from, from college, from real college professors. And in the meantime, I was still doing stuff on the side. I was still starting and stopping small businesses and doing what I could to try to make extra money. And so that, again, years went by. And eventually I got to be like one of the best students and I felt really, really confident there. However, I was really, really working hard. I, I probably worked 40 hours a week plus full-time school, plus travel an hour and a half both ways, plus paying for all my bills myself, uh, you know, keeping track of a rundown car. I mean, I, I really was stressed out. I was really, really stressed out. But in the evenings, on the weekends, when I had a little bit of time, I was still building. I was still building. I was still remodeling every little house I rented. And that was my sanctuary, was building and creating and doing something tangible with my hands and really getting out of my head. So fast forward a little bit, I end up getting ready to graduate from Cal State Hayward uh, because I was an overachiever <laughs> at this point. Uh, because I was doing so well in school, I was taking double the class load, and I ended up graduating with a double major, double bachelor degree in business and entrepreneurship. And it had been such a long time. I mean, it had literally been about 10 years that it, this journey had taken from horrible at school to 
really successful in college. And I was so looking forward to it being over, right? I had literally been in school for almost a decade. And one of my graduate, you know, advisors or whatever said, wow, you should really, you know, you're a great student. You've really got a good head for business. You should move on and do your master's degree. Uh, I'd barely even heard of a master's degree. <laughs> I was, I was so focused on starting businesses, running my little small businesses on the side, because of course, at this point now, I'd actually done that successfully a couple times. I was full in with running and making my own money on the side. And I just, I couldn't even imagine continuing school, right? I just could not imagining still having to go to this campus. Anyway, she was very persuasive. She convinced me that it was just a little bit more time. And if I took even a quarter off, I wouldn't go back right? I wouldn't go back that most people never go back. And she, again, she really believed in me and she pushed me and made me reach further than I actually thought I could do. And so she helped me write all my letters and helped me get recommendations. Cause of course you have to be accepted. You can apply, but not, they don't accept everybody. And so that was another big stretch for me, worried about being rejected and, and not being good enough. Right. Anyways, I was accepted into the program. And I was one of the very first 15 people to go through their entrepreneurship MBA program, Masters of Business Administration. Anyway, so I never actually, I took a quarter <laughs> and I came right back the very next week. I literally had no break at all. And I went right into my MBA and graduate liver courses are only taught at night. So the night courses were six to 1030 at night. And the trip is an hour and a half away, one direction. So Oh my God. I just, the things when you think about like what you've done in your life and you can't believe you actually got through that, but I did, I never got a break. I went straight through my MBA and graduated with honors a year and a half later, you know, went full term the whole time, still worked as a waitress and still ran my other businesses on the side. And again, continued doing carpentry and getting better and better and better on my own, but just as like a work release, right? Just as like a stress relief. So fast forward a year and a half. <laughs> so I've now been, I've now been in school going to the same campus and, and I'm not going to digress, but I did take some time off and go down to UC Santa Barbara to try to connect with my dad. And I, I went to UC Berkeley for uh, two semesters. I did actually go to different, you know, four years colleges, but I ended up back at Cal State Hayward. Um, and so that's where I actually graduated from. So Either way, I was literally continuously in college and school that entire time for a full 13 years. And meanwhile, on the side, all this other stuff was going on. I was getting better and better at business. I was getting better and better at business consulting. Uh, I was really starting to figure some things out. I was getting really good at marketing. Anyway, so I'm about to graduate with my MBA. I'm so excited. I'm literally cannot believe that I'm not going to have to go to class again and drive all the way to this campus an hour and a half away. And it's two days before I'm about to graduate. And my, my advisor, who's now the, the, um, the chair of the department comes to me and says, uh, Camille, you've done so well here. All the teachers we would like to ask you, would you consider becoming an associate professor? And I was just like, are you kidding me? And she said, uh, I still remember this, uh, Professor Chung, she's like, 
you're the epitome of what we're talking about in this program. You're starting these businesses. You're taking the risks. Most of the teachers haven't even started businesses and you're literally doing it. Uh, would you consider being an associate professor? And maybe teaching one or two classes will help you develop the curriculum. You know, we'll help you with everything you need. And I was just, all I could think about was, oh my God, I still have to come back to this campus. And so uh, once again, I did not heed what my intuition was telling me, right? And I just saw the opportunity and I jumped in and it didn't matter how busy it was. It didn't matter how far away the drive was. I really wasn't listening to any of that. But the reality was I was at the beginnings of being completely burned out, right? But I didn't know that at the beginning. And I was just super excited and proud and um, and still am proud that I did that. Anyway, so again, I never even took a quarter off. I went right from my last graduating quarter of my MBA studies into becoming an associate professor. And I had three classes on my workload, uh, which were like creating a business plan, a marketing plan. And I think there was a speech, uh, a speech class in there or something. Um, and they were all night classes because I was teaching graduate level courses. So once again, I was driving an hour and a half to teach from six to 10 and then get home by like midnight. It was a grind. When I look back now, I'm like, I cannot believe I actually signed up for that. But what I do remember was I just loved helping the students. I loved creating a fresh, young approach to business development because most of the other teachers were older and they'd come from corporate and they actually weren't even actually starting businesses themselves, right? It was all very top level MBA style type corporate structure. But most people don't start that way. They start very small. So I love the students. Uh, I loved pushing myself. And fast forward, I did that for six and a half years. And I ended up doing, you know, tons and tons of classes. I think I did eight classes. I developed their multimedia department. I did a whole bunch of things for them. And I loved it. And I really got to feel good at school and proud of myself. Along the way, on top of doing that, right, I did eventually quit being a waitress and was able to um, support myself full time with that. Somewhere in the middle of that, because most of my life, there's things that have been overlapping things all happening simultaneously. Uh, I did get a very successful apprenticeship at PG&E in San Francisco, which became a full-time job. So I actually was doing that. And every time I kept moving up and moving up and moving up. And I did that for, for several years as well as doing this in the evenings. So if you're starting to see a pattern here of one thing piled on top of another thing on piled on top of another thing, that was really my strategy, not on purpose. I just saw all these opportunities and I said yes to all of them, uh, not really thinking about the impact on my health and the impact on my mental stability. I was just working and grinding and trying to make things happen. Fast forward a little bit. I left the job at PG&E, which was extremely successful. I could have worked there the rest of my life. I couldn't stand working in an office. I just could not stand having to be there all day long. Uh, and so that was a good, a good experience for me because I learned that really I liked being self-employed. I liked being in charge of my own time. I liked being as efficient as I wanted to be and not relegated to the rest of what everybody else is doing. So that was a really good experience. And it was hard to let that job go because 
a lot of people would have killed for that apprenticeship and that full-time job. But I really started to see that I truly wanted to be self-employed. So anyway, so I'm teaching in the evenings. Along with that came an opportunity to work uh, because, again, I was in business development. And one of the other teachers there was also what's called an SBA consultant, a small business administration consultant. And he recommended me for the job as a business consultant with the SBA. And I'd never even heard of that. <laughs> and uh, Needless to say, I'll probably do a show on just how amazing the Small Business Administration is and the Small Business Development Centers, which are located at every single college. And it's free business advice and it, we pay for it out of our taxes, but very few people know about it. Anyway, so I just kind of, this, this opportunity fell into my lap again. They asked me, they said, hey, you've got all this great experience. Would you come and be a consultant? And again, I said yes. And so that started a period of time where I was basically teaching full time in the evenings in Hayward. So driving an hour and a half to get there, teach for four hours, drive an hour and a half home, hundreds of business plans to grade, hundreds of students to prepare for, lots and lots of work with that job. On top of that, I was also an SBDC consultant through the SBA and I would teach classes for them. And I had my whole range of about a hundred clients through them that I was helping with business planning. I also had developed my own consulting practice where I was working one-on-one -on -one with my own customers, helping them with business and marketing, website development, a bunch of stuff. So I had basically three levels of stress on top of me. And it just, it kind of all reached a point where I was living with a boyfriend. We had bought a house together and I thought everything was great. And, you know, I was making a ton of money. I was very successful in three different arenas all around business development. Um, and I was grossly unhappy. I mean, just absolutely miserable, unhappy. And I just could not figure out why. And, and I also had my own businesses on the side that were different than consulting. Uh, I, I owned a blanket manufacturing company. I eventually owned a robe manufacturing company that supplied a bunch of spas. Um, I had a candle, a soy candle company that was very successful. Like I had done a lot of things on top of that. So I probably worked about 95 hours a week and had no friends or very few friends that I would keep up with because I was too busy. And I had a boyfriend and he was amazing. He was an engineer and I had very little time for him. Like when I look back on it now and I was just so focused on being a success that I really burned myself out. So anyway, so it all leads up to how I became a carpenter and how carpentry really saved my life. And so this was about probably, I don't know, five or six years of this, of just about 14 different kinds of things all on top of each other. And finally, one day I just, I had a mental breakdown. I just basically could not function. I did not know it at the time, but you know, now I know a lot about depression. I know a lot about mental illness and I didn't realize I just, I had just burned up every single last resource, uh, without even really noticing it. And I ended up in my bathroom on my bathroom floor. And I was like, minutes away from suicide. I just could not figure out 
I couldn't figure out a way out of it. I had worked so hard. I had spent so much money on all these degrees. I had, you know, I was so good at all of this stuff and I was miserable, absolutely miserable. And I could not see a way out of it. And really suicide was the only thing I could think of. I just could not figure out any way to solve any of my own problems. I couldn't figure out how to quit the school. All these people that had, you know, spent so much time on me and, and supported my career. I couldn't figure out how to quit the SBA, all these people who had again supported me and I was doing so well there and I had hundreds of clients. How could I face them and tell them I can't do this anymore? I had my own businesses with people that were counting on me and I was making all this money. And if I stopped doing all these things, I wasn't going to make all this money and what was going to happen to the house and what was going to happen to my relationship if I wasn't doing all this stuff. And, you know, I had built up this version of myself that just didn't fit. It didn't fit, but I had boxed myself in so tightly that I had no escape route. And I was minutes away from pulling the trigger. And, uh, I, I really freaked myself out enough that I finally reached out for help. And I called my mom and I said, I I'm going to commit suicide. You need to come and get me. And so my mom did drive down because she knew how unusual that was. I never asked for help. She came down and she got me and we sold the house and I broke up with my boyfriend and I quit my jobs and I shut down the businesses and I lived with my mom for, I don't even know, probably three months. And I had to relearn completely how to operate, how to eat, how to take care of myself. I had just literally drove myself into the ground. And that is really where the story of, you know, becoming a carpenter begins because I had to let go of all the stuff that I had worked so hard for, that I was so proud of, that I was so good at, but I was not happy. And thank God my sister and my brother-in-law and my mom and my dad, my stepdad um, took care of me. They helped me get back on my feet. They helped me get the money to have an apartment. And I just kind of floated around for a while and I learned about depression and I, you know, was on medication and it kept me alive for a while. And eventually I, I didn't want to take the medication anymore. I wanted to really figure out what was going on and what I was looking for. And it was kind of a random conversation with my sister and we were talking about it and I was super frustrated and she was saying, you know, what's, you know, what's so hard about it? Just pick something. What do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And she's like, well, what do you do with most of your free time? <laughs> and I was like, you know, I build stuff. I fix up my houses. I, I, I remodel stuff for friends. And she's like, why don't you just become a carpenter? <laughs> you know, that was the first time that anybody had ever even given me permission to even think about doing that. And I just, it made so much sense, but I was, of course, scared to death and thought that's just ridiculous. <laughs> like what kind of a person that has 13 years of college and two bachelor's degrees and a master's degree and, 
is a fancy business consultant and works for the SBA and is a teacher. Like, what? <laughs> Why would you throw all of that away, right? Just all of that away and start over from scratch and become a carpenter. I mean, it was just like, it was asinine. But I kept thinking about it and I kept thinking about it and I kept thinking about it and I could not get it out of my head. I don't know. I think it was like two weeks later. And finally, I was so frustrated and upset at myself that I couldn't move forward that I just actually considered it. And I started to really think about it like, oh my God, what would that take? How embarrassing is that? How humiliating is that to like be a consultant that used to be all dressed up and be fancy and be professional and formal. And now I'm going to work in a wood shop. I mean, it just, it seems so improbable, but my ego, right? It was my ego that was holding me back. Not the interest. I was super interested. It was my ego that was holding me back. When I finally got to the point of being past the ego and really, really thought about it, I just thought, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to actually try this. I'm just going to try this and I'm going to see where it goes. I'm not going to overthink it. I'm just going to see if I can get any job on any job site and I'm going to prove to myself that I can actually do it or not. And then I'm going to see what, what comes after that. Thanks again for listening this far. We're going to take a quick break and I'm going to tell you about a product I just love that helps support this show. Oh my gosh, you guys. So today I'm opening up my Blue Apron package, which I get every single Wednesday. And I'm so excited because I get to pull out my recipe cards and see what I get this week. Basically, the first reason why I'm so excited about cooking with Blue Apron is I get to open all these little new packages every single week. A bunch of super cute little items, all individually wrapped. I mean, who doesn't like getting gifts, right? And the fact that it's food every single Wednesday is just thrilling. So I love the sound of that box opening and I get all kinds of new things and I have absolutely no idea what I'm getting each week. You can go ahead and check all of it ahead of time. And I used to do that, but then I got so comfortable that I basically just trust Blue Apron that I never even look ahead. And I love being surprised each week. Like my job is stressful and there's a lot of decisions that are being made all the time and lots of problems that have to be solved all day long. So for me, it's such a nice mental break to be able to just mindlessly, but with a lot of fun, enjoy opening up a bunch of new packages. In addition, the excitement of opening a fun box of gifts every week, like the entire Blue Apron experience, is literally the best part of cooking. That's really what Blue Apron has done for me. They've taken all the hassle out of it, all the extra expense, all the wasted food, all the lack of creativity, and trying to figure out what recipe to do week after week, They've basically streamlined it down to just the absolute best parts of cooking. That's why I love it. So if you want to experience the best parts of cooking with me, Blue Apron style, just head over to remodelyourlifepodcast.com forward slash Blue Apron and get started today. And you can get $30 off your first week and a portion of your purchases will help support my show. And I thank you so much. And I would love to see what you're cooking this week with Blue Apron. Hey 
guys, thanks for coming back and joining me. Uh, I know this is a very long story, but I'm hoping if I say it one time, I won't ever have to say it again. <laughs> so when we left off, I was telling you about how I finally got up the courage, the nerve to just try to explore something new, something that I'd been curious about, but was afraid of, was worried about being embarrassed or humiliated. I was just coming off of 13 years of college, paying for the whole thing myself, two bachelor's degrees, a master's degree, working as a business consultant, working as a professor, hundreds of clients, hundreds of students. So I felt pretty damn full of myself at that point. So to go like way down, to be knocked way down in my head, right? Ego wise to just working as a carpenter or not even a carpenter, just, just a laborer just getting into construction was like a big mindset shift for me. And so we left off. I was just finally frustrated enough and upset enough with myself to, to do something different, right? To try something new. So because of my sister suggesting it, I just quietly without telling anybody, any of my friends or family that I was even considering doing this, I just woke up one morning and I just said, fuck it. I'm going to walk onto the first job site I see. I'm going to get a job in construction. I have no experience whatsoever, and I'm going to just see what happens. And so the very next morning, I still remember this, it was the middle of summer, like the absolute worst time to start a job. Uh, and remember, I was used to being like dressed up in suits and high heels this whole time as a business consultant. So uh, I didn't have any of the clothes. Uh, I didn't have any of the tools outside of my, you know, personal tools at my house. And I was scared shitless. Okay. And I was again, very small, five foot three, a hundred pounds, then very small, I looked extremely young. And, uh, I just drove around and I saw this job site where there were some Mexican guys outside and I just pulled up and I just sat in the car for about 10 minutes. And I told myself, just get out of the car, Camille, just walk across the street and ask for a job. Just lower your expectations, let your ego move to the side, because what you've been doing is not working. You've had a complete mental breakdown. <laughs> what you've been doing is not working. So try something new. So I did. I just walked up there. I acted confident. I acted like I knew what I was doing. I asked him where the boss was. Um, you know, I mean, I was familiar with job sites enough because of my dad, like I did feel comfortable on a job site. Like I knew how they worked a little bit. And, uh, I just walked up to them and asked for the boss and they said he's inside. And I walked inside and it was just this big, huge, you know, white fat guy. And he was, you know, completely shocked that I was standing there. And I said, Hey, I'm looking for a job. And, you know, are you guys hiring? And he was like, no, not really. But, uh, what can you do? And I was like, I don't know. I just, I need a job and I want to start. Uh, I can start tomorrow morning. And I think just out of sheer complete <laughs> surprise, he said, yes, probably not thinking I was going to show back up. And it took about five minutes, the entire exchange that changed my life. And he said, okay, come back at 6am, bring some work boots I'm sure he never thought I was going to come back and I never thought he was even going to say yes. So I just turned around and walked right back off the job site, got in my car, started driving away, immediately started crying, immediately started bawling. Couldn't believe I was even, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know if I was more scared of actually having to go back over there. 
excited because somebody had said yes and something was happening in a new direction in my life. I just, I think it was just all the emotional release. And so I went home, I went to Walmart, I bought a little bit of work clothes, I bought some work boots and I was there at, you know, 545 in the morning with the rest of the Mexican crew. He couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that this very small white girl was standing there and I just acted like I was meant to be there and like I was confident even when I wasn't. And he's like, okay, well, you guys are digging ditches today. And so that's what we did for the first four days. We dug in 105 degree weather. We dug ditches for irrigation and for some sort of sewer line or something. And my only goal that day was to just not stop digging and just keep up with the rest of the guys and not complain, not pass out. And just be able to get up and do it the next day. And that's all I thought about. That's all I thought about. But I went home and I was super tired and I felt proud of myself. And I felt proud that I even got through the day. So I did prove to myself, right? Every day I basically proved to myself that, wow, I could do more than I thought I could do. After four days of that, the boss came to me and said, hey, you know, do you want to work inside? Do you know how to do baseboard? I was like, no. He's like, okay, I'll show you how to, you know, you're going to be the the helper to this, to this guy. So. I did that for two weeks. They started to notice that I listened. I was quiet. I kept my mouth shut. Uh, I know I did my work and I kept showing up, kept showing up, kept showing up. Uh, then there was like two weeks of doing crown molding. Then there was like sheetrock and texture. Then there was like painting. Then there was like flooring installation. Then there was carpet installation. And I just kept coming back. I just kept showing up. I just kept learning. But it was about two months later where I actually realized I was fucking happy. I was happy making $7 an hour, uh, working my ass off all day long, coming home completely exhausted to my core, taking a hot tub, having a glass of wine, making my little, you know, making my little dinner. But I was actually happy. I was satisfied. My brain was engaged. My body felt good. Uh, and I could see the results of my, of my labor, that little shitty apartment building that we were working on looked a thousand times better than when we started. And I was hooked, right? I was hooked. I didn't know at all where this was going to go. All I knew was that for the first time in a long time, I was actually happy and felt really good about myself. And I was excited to get up in the morning. So that started another very long journey of, me trying to become a carpenter and what does that mean and how trying to get skills. And basically what ended up happening was, you know, I worked for this guy for about a year until I got to kind of the top of his crew. I could do all the work that everybody else could do. And I sort of hit a ceiling where he was never going to really let me run my own crew because the other guys were uncomfortable. So I kind of, you know, I just politely quit the job. I took the experience from that and I slid over laterally and I got another job with a little bit better company and I worked there. I got more skills. I hit a ceiling where I was never going to really, they weren't going to push me up any further, not based on my skill sets, based on just the uncomfortableness of the guys on the crew. Right. And so I would take that experience, move over sideways, work for a better company. And I did that for quite a few years until I actually got to the point where I actually felt really good about what I was doing and I felt pretty qualified but I was still, um, you know, I didn't really know what everybody else knew. And so I was always questioning myself. 
So I got this idea that if I went into the union, if I went into the carpenters union, I would actually really know what all the other carpenters knew, right? And once I did that, that I would be qualified. I would actually be, you know, I'd be able to feel good about myself and say I was a carpenter. So I joined the carpenters union. I quit that job. I joined the carpenters union. I went through the apprenticeship program. Uh, I was one of only two girls out of, you know, like a thousand people in that program. And I did really well again. I started to get a real knack for it and feel like, wow, I'm actually really naturally good at this. Like um, I'm picking stuff up quickly. You know, I'm, I'm good at this. And in the union is when I had like a whole nother experience in carpentry. I got to, for one, I had to figure out that you have to actually get your own jobs in the carpenters union. Nobody told you that when you had to get in there. So you actually have to fight for and advocate for yourself to, to get on a job site. You got to convince that guy, the boss of the job to let you on the job. He he's the guy who decides if you're, we're going to work there or not. And that job may only last for three months and you got to go out and find another job. So there's like a whole thing with working as a carpenter in the union. So that took a couple of years of me figuring out the trade in the union. But part of that was I had some great mentors. I worked for some really fantastic Finnish carpenters and I worked in hotels and schools and elevators. And my eyes were open to all these different kinds of trades within finished carpentry, which is the like prettier kinds of carpentry. And so I started to get a sense of, oh, I like to do the stuff that's the end of the job. All the finished stuff, cabinetry, countertops, glass work, a uh, little bit of metal work, uh, all the finished stuff that goes on that the customer sees or the end user sees. And so Halfway through that period is when I kind of really started to realize that I loved cabinets and countertops. I could see that you could do a lot with those two things. And I still, I still was thinking, oh, I'm just going to work in the union the rest of my life. And I would have been fine with that. Except that once again, I kept hitting a ceiling. I kept getting to a certain point with each company where I could see I was never going to really be promoted past that. And it wasn't based on my skill set. I was the best person on the crew, but it just was awkward and uncomfortable for them to move me up higher. So I did that for quite a few years, just long enough for me to realize, wait a minute, I actually know how to run a business. <laughs> That's what I did before. Uh, I should just start my own business. So there was a couple things missing with that. One, I didn't have a contractor's license and I was in California where it's very highly regulated. Two, I didn't have a sponsor. You need a sponsor to be to get that. Three, there was some sort of gaps in my training where I couldn't quite do a kitchen, right? I couldn't quite do a whole kitchen. I could do pieces of it and I could do some of the stuff, but I didn't quite feel comfortable with all of it. So then I started seeking out jobs within the union to kind of fill in some of those bits and pieces. And I, that was kind of the last part of my plan where I started to really realize, wow, I could actually make a good living in this, but I need some technical training in some of these missing pieces. And so I started filling those holes and I eventually got to where I'd learned pretty much everything I could within the union. And it's highly frowned upon to do side jobs. It's like a really big deal. And so I was kind of teetering on the edge. I was doing some small jobs on the side. I was making a little bit of money on the side, but I was really putting my job at risk with the union. And so, uh, you know, at some point I just, I realized, wow, I'm, I'm going to just go out on my own. I'm going to go back into the private sector, 
So I quit the union. I left the union because of the there wasn't enough flexibility and I didn't feel I had enough opportunity to move up. And my last part of the piece of the puzzle was countertops. I, I needed to know countertop fabrication. I needed to know it from the very beginning, not just installing, not just repairing. I needed to know how to make countertops and all different kinds of countertops. And so I quit the union and I got a job. I walked onto, this was kind of my last big thing outside of getting my contractor's license. I walked into a very large scale fabrication shop um, locally here. And I convinced the, um, <laughs> the owner of the company to make me the only female fabricator that they've ever had, uh, and still to this day. And now when I look back on that, that was really ballsy. <laughs> like that was really ballsy. I can't believe this quiet, shy Norwegian actually did that. I walked into the business. I asked to see the owner. Uh, I told him my background and I told him I wanted to be trained as a fabricator to make the story, you know, even more unusual or funnier is again, I was still looked extremely young. I looked about 25, uh, or maybe 20, probably I was a hundred pounds, maybe 105 pounds, five foot three, very slim. Uh, I was physically in shape by that point, but I was still really, really small. And I looked really young and I was white and the entire fabrication shop is all Mexican. Like that's typical in shops. They're all Mexican. They don't even speak English. Like it's full, full Mexican. And Fadi, the owner of the company was Persian. So it was really weird to have a girl, a small white girl walk in and ask to not be a sales rep or a designer or work in the showroom, but want to work inside the fabrication shop with all these big, huge guys, right? Who don't speak English. I mean, there was a few white guys, but it was predominantly a very loud, raucous, completely Spanish speaking environment. But it was the last piece of the puzzle. I needed to know what he knew. I needed to know how to fabricate countertops. You know, he said he would think about it. I guarantee you he did not think I was going to come back. I went back three or four times. I kept asking. I kept asking. I, I offered to do it for free if he would just let me apprentice there, work under somebody. Uh, I told him I would, you know, prove it to him or I would just leave. And so he eventually said yes. And when I think about it, that was like a huge risk for him to even let me in the fabrication shop, much less think he could even train me to be effective. It's another example of men in the industry letting us in and giving us the skill sets that we needed to thrive. And so anyways, I was super proud of that. And he put me with one of the best fabricators there, this older white guy who'd been there for a long time, Bob, super quiet. And one of the most effective, efficient people there. He wasn't loud. He didn't talk a lot. He just fucking worked. And he knew how to make a living in his craft. Uh, luckily, again, he welcomed me. He never made me feel weird or unusual. And he taught me everything he knew. And within about a year, uh, I knew enough to go on my own. And because I had proved it to Fadi, he let me run my own crew. And that's kind of how it works there. You're, you're hourly until you decide to go piecemeal. And so within a year I had my own crew. So I had a crew of people that worked Mexican guys that fabricated with me and we worked hundred percent piecemeal and we installed, you know, three to four days a week. So we would come in in the morning, we would fabricate. We had a space within the bigger shop. Uh, we had all our tools there. We'd had to buy, I had to buy all my tools to support the whole crew. 
and we had to have our own truck and our own A-frame. And, you know, we would get jobs and we would go out and template the job and come back and get the material, fabricate it and install it. And we only got paid when we installed. So we basically, <laughs> you better bet, we were installing all the time. We were fabricating in the morning, installing in the afternoon, fabricate in the morning, install in the afternoon. And pretty much everybody that was a good installer, a fabricator installer that worked piecemeal, 90% of us that were still there and could pay for shop space, uh, and do enough jobs. We installed at least three to four, sometimes five days a week, a full kitchen every single day, every single day, every single day. So I really got good at fabrication and installation and running a crew and making money. And so that was like a little miniature business within Foddy's bigger business. And I did that for three solid years. And I learned pretty much everything I needed to know to run a kitchen remodeling business. That was the last piece of the puzzle where I knew I could make the cabinets, build the cabinets, install the cabinets, and I could make the countertop, build the countertop and install the countertop. And so it was within, I'd say four years that I quit that job and decided to start my own kitchen remodeling business. And then it was, again, I took a couple of years for someone to become a sponsor for me and for me to be qualified and pass the test and start my own actual company and go out there and get clients and start building kitchens. And, uh, you know, that was a whole nother level of experience of doing thousands of kitchens on my own, right? Finding shop space, finding workers, learning all the finished techniques. So it has been a huge journey and one that I'm super grateful for. And I'm still impressed with myself as you should be with the things that you learn to accomplish. You just never know how far you can push yourself. So I tell you this extremely long story so that you will see that you too can maybe do something impossible that you never, ever thought was possible. And my hope is that with this show though, you can get more resources, you can get experience, you can ask for help. You can ask for support and guidance uh, that I really wish I had had along that extremely long journey. And I'll, you know, I'll go into more explanation about like the actual running of the kitchen remodeling business and all the learning experiences that I had uh, in that, all the failed kitchens and the failed finishes and all the mistakes that I made and all the improvements that I eventually did. But, you know, that's for another show. For now, I just wanted to sort of show that it really takes a long time to become a carpenter, but it's worth it. And uh, every day now, if I have a tough day or I have a struggle or I have something I'm worried about, I don't really have to think about sitting in my house anymore. I can just get up and go to my shop and I can build all day long. And I know I'm going to feel better. I'm going to feel satisfied. There's something tangible that I've done. I can make a client super happy. Uh, I, I have opportunities in front of me. I have things that I can do, right? Instead of just being in my head all the time. So that's sort of my very long windy story of how I got from being uh, a business consultant with an MBA, marketing and entrepreneurship to becoming a successful kitchen remodeling, kitchen cabinet, you know, shop person. And if I can do it, you can do it. And thank you for listening to my story. And in the next segment, uh, my producer, James, is going to ask me some additional questions uh, that might be on your mind. So it'll be fun. So stay tuned.
much for listening to Remodel Your Life. I sure have enjoyed being with you today. And if you really like our show, we'd love it if you would subscribe through iTunes. You can always send us feedback through email at Camille at RemodelYourLifePodcast.com. And I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Remodel Your Life podcast. This episode has ended, but your remodeling journey can continue. Head over to RemodelYourLifePodcast.com to access all the resources, tools, and links mentioned in this episode. Until next time, get your hands dirty and create the life you want from the foundation up. And thanks again to Blue Apron. I just love cooking with them and so appreciate their support of my show. But it was about two months later where I actually realized I was fucking happy. I was happy making $7 an hour, uh, working my ass off all day long, coming home completely exhausted to my core.